Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the fifth volume of The Sixth Gun in the seventh month, plus a shocking death. The Belmont Dynasty returns, numbering woes, eight-bit bugs, and the kick-butt pole of the week. If there were ever a time to sing the Gilligan's Island theme song, this is it. That's not really germane to the situation. I just wanted to share it with you. And also, the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 736 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading and sharing this episode with a friend. And it's so good to have friends when we talk comic books. And all my friends are here. Well, not all my friends. No, all okay. your friends. All my friends Literally are here. Are here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and unfortunately, they're scattered to the four winds. We've got Ashley over in California, Rodrigo up oh, in uh, up in Seattle, and uh, Matthew over there on the other side of the state. On the couch. Yes. But uh, we're all here. We're here to talk comic books and pop culture and all the good stuff and... Something I didn't think we'd get to, Sixth Gun Volume 5. Nice. I'm, I'm going to make a prediction that this volume may not hold up as well as the rest. It's just a prediction. Sure. But we'll talk about that later in the episode. First, why don't Have we get to some news? Have you read it yet? Are you I, reading it while we're doing the news? <laughs> I'm going to read it when we get to the section. Yes, let's do some news. It's called a tease there, Matthew. Uh, we oh, got I'm three sorry. items we can talk about this week. We can talk about Le- uh, Marvel Legacy brings back the old renumbering system. Uh, Lucy Liu is directing the Luke Cage season two premiere and the Joker is really the hero in Batman White Knight. Let's spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where they land. I've actually heard spoilers. Some people call him Maurice. Oh, really? <laughs> of course, those particular people call everyone Maurice. Ooh. Oh, here we go. Uh, number one, Marvel is returning. Well, Marvel Legacy is kicking off where they're trying to get the. Uh, legacy heroes and the new heroes like Miles Morales and Peter Parker. How do they work together in the same universe? How does uh, uh, Thor and Thor, how do they work together? How does, you know, Ms. Marvel and Ms. Marvel work together? But in the process, they are also renumbering the issues so that they pick up where they would have continued. Now, this happened a few years ago, Matthew, right? With, wasn't it with Captain America or the Incredible Hulk? They, One of those two. All of them. They did it with uh, Spider-Man, Captain America, Incredible Hulk, Daredevil, and Iron Man. Captain America actually was infuriating. Captain America went to issue 50, a big big announcement. Then they relaunched with 600 with a big announcement. And then they literally brought the Captain America back from the dead. So they had like three big faux anniversary issues in the space of a year. But yes, they miscounted. Get ready to be uh, uh, angry again because they're doing that with all of the all yeah. of their titles. So Avengers is is going to return with issue six seventy two. Uh, we've got uh, I forget who else we've got. There's Captain America and I forget what it it uh, 
it's coming back. Captain as, America is going to be back in the, I want to say the 690s or something. Deadpool returns at 287. Invincible Ridiculous. Iron Man comes back at 593, which I think the maths on that is wrong. I guess, I guess the problem that I have with their maths is they're not counting every appearance of that character. No, they're just counting his solo books. I guess so, but so for Iron Man, for example. Yes. Iron Man originally appeared in Tales of Suspense. But then but then they changed the name of the title of Tales of Suspense featuring the power of Iron Man. So would not that be an Iron Man title? I would say no, because Tales of Suspense was always a split book when Iron Man was in it. It was either Iron Man and I want to say people are going to shoot me for they have a bunch of they had a bunch of different people in there but iron man relaunched with a number one whereas Mm, captain america renumbered the existing numbering of tales of suspense okay well maybe i'm wrong on on, on, on iron man but i looked at that i was like well something's not wrong and something's not right iron man number one came out in 68 and iron man relaunched from Tales of Suspense. The other half of Tales of Suspense became Captain America. And Thor. And Captain and... America launched with issue 100. Yeah. And then uh, tale, uh, Journey into Mystery became Thor. Journey into Mystery, Thor started with issue 86. Marvel is counting, or did count, the first 85 issues of that book in a previous recount. Yeah. And they counted the first uh, 79-odd issues of Tales of Suspense in the Captain America revamp, even though Captain America never appeared. Wasn't in that. See, that's what I, that's... mm. I don't trust them. Their Iron Man numbering is actually closer than it could be, because Iron Man Volume 1 shut down right before Heroes Reborn with, like, issue 320 or 331, 332. Mm -hmm. And then he's had, like, nine number ones in the next 15 years, so... So Here's the thing, Rodrigo, that I find... I don't know, maybe a little bit frustrating, you know, for, I don't know, what is it, 10 years now? Uh, they've been going back, and, and every couple of years, it's like, hey, let's relaunch with uh, a new number one. I mean, this happened with, what, uh, Invincible Iron Man in, in 2008. They did it with Iron Man in 2012, Superior Iron Man in 2015, Invincible Iron Man in 2015, and Invincible Iron Man again in 2016, all with these <laughs> new number ones. And I know on this show, we were talking about how infuriating that was that every couple of months, there was a new number one, but I got to tell you, I was starting to get into the, I liking the idea of, Hey, here's a new creative team. Here's their story to tell. It's all collected in volume 27 of Iron Man. And there you go. One through 12. And now they're, now they're going back to the old way. Well, it really is just them trying to have it both ways. Right. It's mm-hmm. like having it. So that they're like, this is a fresh new number one. Buy it, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also look at the look at the storied character. For six million issues, we have seen Iron Man, and Iron Man is great. Aren't you so happy that you, nerd, ha- have been around for six bajillion issues? I sure am. So yeah, read this. Um, it is. I, I think it is partially kind of this pendulum that um, just goes back and forth between appealing to new readers and appealing to older readers who kind of want this sense of like, aha, like this is this is a storied comic. Yeah. So, and, and that's a that's a good thing that Marvel is appealing. Actually, Marvel has kind of probably been at the forefront of a lot of flack from fandom. Yes. Especially when it comes to uh, stunts, 
And I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm going back through and, and on my trip to Nerdtacular 2017, I uh, started listening to the audiobook version of Marvel The Complete History, which is an unauthorized mm-hmm. uh, history. And they've kind of been doing stunt stuff since the very beginning. But it seems in the last couple of years, people and retailers and fans have kind of kind of uh, taken a backlash at uh, at Marvel, especially with the constant number one renumberings. Is this Marvel's attempt to say, hey, we've learned from our mistakes or is this just another gimmick until they can get uh, Captain America up to issue 1000? Oh, this is uh, to me when uh, when I first saw this story in our show notes and then did a little more research on it. This feels very reactionary to uh, DC post rebirth announcing that both action and detective were going to go back to the original numbering because they are driving toward their 1000th issue. Mm -hmm. And I really, from what I've seen, having worked in retail and just, you know, being around comics, I really think that the big two are a snake eating its own tail over and over (laughs) and over again. Uh, And that's sort of what it smacks up to me. I will say that it's tough in the current um, big two zeitgeist to not be accused of stunting because events and crossovers and number ones and, and 600 variant covers sell. And it, it, it baffles me, but, they do, and they keep doing it, and people keep falling for it, and oh, then yeah. complaining about it in comics journalism. Well, yeah, well, that's um, why. Well, that's why a couple of weeks ago, I think it was in one of our bonus episodes, I was worried about the variants because I'm into that portion of the Marvel history book where the, the '90s hit, and they're talking about what a complete disaster that was from the inside and outside, and I just see that again, and and something like this just has me concerned that oh my gosh, this is this is the '90s all over again. Oh, but the 90s had such good bad stories. <laughs> such good That's bad the thing, stories. This is the yeah. 90s all over again. It, it has been for a couple of years now. And all we're really sure are something, the equivalent of the bad girl comics. I mean, we are at a point where they're now trying what took six and seven years. They're trying it month in, month out. We are going through these cycles so fast that I would argue that since DC Rebirth, we're actually coming back around in the cycle of resets. I believe that Marvel is technically ahead of the game at this point because 15 months ago or whatever it was when Rebirth came out, DC was making this thing and now Marvel is actually preemptively coming back around. I really believe that the comic book industry (laughs) is in about a 10 to 12 month cycle. They'll be like, oh, this is the best month we've ever had in, you know, France. And then, and then oh, <laughs> I hope it was in France. Well, I think that there <laughs> yeah. was maybe a bit of a dig at DC because under this Marvel Legacy, they are launching 52 uh, titles uh, yes. under the Marvel Legacy banner, <laughs> which I find. Uh, or, or Steven is obsessed with the number. 52. I am. I'm rather obsessed with numbers, which brings me to my next question, Matthew. How are you organizing your specifically Iron Man? I know we could be talking about Captain America or others, but I got the Iron Man uh, graphic up in front of me. So we've got Iron Man uh, that ran from 100 to or I'm sorry, one to three thirty two. Then there was a bunch mm-hmm. of new number ones. And then mm-hmm. in 2008, they started with the renumberings at 500 to 527. And now there's right. a break uh, with all the the new volumes. And then we're going to start again at 593. Do you put all those multiple volumes of Iron Man, even including Invincible Iron Man and Superior Iron Man, all under your Iron Man category? You got to go chronologically. Um, and really what this is forcing me to do is make uh, literally an Iron Man category. You well, have that's what to- I, yeah, I might go by um, but like you, you all my Batmans with- are under Batman. 
your Iron Man Volume 1, and then your mm-hmm. Iron Man Volume 2, and then your Iron Man Volume 3. But you get to that weird point where Iron Man Volume 5 renumbers yeah. with 500, picking up the numbering from Iron Man Volume 1. But you can't put it under Iron Man Volume 1 because it is still legitimately Iron Man Volume 5. It just has a new number on it. Mm-hmm. And the real problem with Marvel is Marvel is a real jerk about this. They will not just revert to the numbering. They'll actually start printing that it's volume one in the Indicia again, like it's 1995. Oh, will they? And you I think so? They have. Oh, okay. That's what they did. That is literally what they did with Invincible. They didn't do it with Invincible Iron Man. They did it with Daredevil. Well, I guess this and is going to, depending on how the, the comic book people organize their back issue collection, there's going to be in five years, there's going to be some kid coming in. With his five dollars, hoping to buy you know a bunch of twenty-five cent comics, and he's going to go. How come this uh, Iron Man jumps from three thirty-two to five hundred, and then there's a gap again until five ninety-three? What happened to those comics? You got any of them? I want me a uh, an Iron Man number four twenty. Well, Iron Man four twenty is actually going to fall somewhere in Iron Man volume three. No, but there's only one through thirty-five issues. One through thirty-five. No, that's volume four. Volume three oh, of Iron Man would be uh, yeah ninety ninety eight ninety issues yeah so but it, but that's but isn't that going to confuse some people some people where they're going to say oh if you want issue four twenty you're going to have to go to uh, volume three from nineteen ninety eight and pick up issue um eighty eighty two in the year two thousand seventeen is not the time to worry that renumbering <laughs> schemes are going to confuse the, the, the people the years were 1986 was when you should have worried that new numbering <laughs> schemes were going to confuse people because that's when they relaunched Superman number one and threw people into a tizzy. They're like, is this a million dollar book? And I'm like, no, that's a 20 year old comic book. Get the hell out of my store. People Dude. still do that. Uh-huh. And they do. this is the thing. Renumbering. This is just, this is another example. And we, we've talked about this recently of the market intentionally narrowing itself to where you have to some degree become a gatekeeper of the secret knowledge, right? Just to follow and find the damn comics in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Not just to go on the internet and beat up noobs, but this, but, this ultimately this doesn't matter. Does it Rodrigo? I mean, the, the number on the cover doesn't matter. Yep. I mean, it doesn't affect the story, definitely, which is partially the problem is that it's not really motivated by anything or it doesn't seem to be this specifically. The Marvel Legacy stuff is the first somewhat motivated numbering change that I've seen, right? Because it's specifically kind of doing this like, what about the old stuff? What about the new stuff? So mm-hmm. I can uh, I'm like, yeah, all right, maybe this one's. Um, but most of the time, yeah, it's just like complete, it's, it's motivated by things that have nothing to do with the story or with the comics themselves, but rather with sales and, and, and gimmicks. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Ashley or Matthew, did you guys have a lot of people coming in looking for, you know, 20, 30 year old copies of, of Iron Man in your, in your comic book shops that no, were like casual that, readers, casual readers, like no, the average Joe? That, Casual readers Maybe, don't look for back issues. No, um, that's a very specific market. Casual readers don't look for issues. They look for trades. Right. Yeah. Ca- I'm glad you said that because I have to talk to somebody about, about that, about <laughs> they need to stock trades and not single issues. Well, and that's also a problem because, I mean, if you stock the trade, you buy too many, you put more money into that. I mean, trades oh, no, I know you, are... They're more expensive, sure, but uh, there was a there's a... A new comic book store that just opened here 
And mm-hmm. I went in and it, it was soft opening. So he didn't have a, a huge selection, but he had zero trade paperbacks. And, oh. and I think that. Sweetie, no. <laughs> yeah. I think he, I think he, I think the store needs trade paperbacks. Dude, he's in Hayes. He's going to have a market base of like 300 people. Yeah, but trade paperbacks, I think, would bring in the casual <laughs> reader. It's a college Maybe. town. I mean, the the Maybe. town, like, Hayes doubles in size when school's in session. Yeah, yeah, but double six is still 12, man. Hey, it's still 12. You can argue that That's either true. way. <laughs> so what, what's I, everyone's final thoughts here on, on Marvel Legacy? Rodrigo, let's start with you on this. The renumbering specifically, not the pairing up of the how do these old guys relate to young guys. Yeah, uh, like I said, it's the first time that a renumbering feels somewhat motivated, but they didn't. They don't seem to re- be really pushing that angle either. So it, it's kind of it still comes across as a gimmick. All right, Ashley. It definitely comes across as a gimmick. Um, Lady Thor also came across as a gimmick and is one of my favorite things that comics has given me recently. So maybe it's not a bad thing. I don't super see what is gained by it. If you are not coming up on um, a really spectacular anniversary like an issue 1000. Uh, So cool, I guess. Matthew. I think that it's important to note that uh, at least, and I say at least because I think it's probably a little bit before this, at least since the crisis on Infinite Earths, damn near everything in comics has seemed like some sort or some level of gimmick. And I think we as readers have come to terms with that. I mean, we're either going to follow it or we're not. I, I literally do not care, could not possibly care less. And I think this is just, you know, Another example of how can we put out a seven ninety nine double issue with a number six hundred on the cover? You know, if that's Marvel's thing, that's Marvel's thing. More power to them. I don't trust that they're not going to renumber with one inside of two years. Um, I think we're going to get to six hundred, and then Iron Man's going to come back with a new issue one when Tony Stark comes back from the dead, or from the AI, or whatever the hell. Well, I think he Marvel is. Legacy is going to. I think the start of it is called the Search for Tony Stark, so he'll he'll be back. Yeah, I won't be reading any Marvel Legacy. My I guess my thought is pick something and stick with it and don't change it. <laughs> Did you just say that to Marvel Comics? <laughs> yes, to everybody, to everybody. <laughs> Figure it out what you want to do and stick with it. Because I, like I said, when we started this topic, I was just getting to the point where, you know what? I'm okay with a new volume with new renumbering every other year. I'm totally okay with that. And now I'm just kind of like, Rrr. now you're going back to the old system and I'm all conflicted again. So you're saying well, you picked something but didn't stick with it, and now you regret it? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not saying I didn't stick with it because I was I was starting to enjoy it and getting behind it, and now they're flipping it, and it's like, well, make up your mind because now I have to get used to the old numbering again, and then once I get used to that, they'll flip it back around. Sure, and then we'll get Marvel Volume Two. Oh no, no, we won't. All right, uh, that is it for the news. Listeners, head over to Majorspoilers.com. You will find a whole bunch of stuff. And with San Diego Comic-Con just around the corner, a whole, whole, whole bunch of stuff is appearing over at the website. If you enjoy what we do and find value in what we do, head over to Patreon.com slash Majorspoilers and sign up. Put a little value back into the show, and it allows us to grow and do more things and do more creative things, including giving you bonus episodes, bonus content. Oh, my gosh, we are in year 11. That's the other thing that I forgot. Since we didn't have a show last week, Major spoilers, 11 years old. I can't believe that. 
We're almost a teenager. I know, right? Next year, Ashley, we can finally be teenagers again. No, not teenagers. You're 13. You're you're a tween when you're 12. Oh, that's right. Well, anyway, uh, for our upper level patron members, they get exclusive T-shirts. And I really got a kick out of the 10th anniversary T-shirt that has been running. This is the last month to get the 10th anniversary T-shirt because beginning in August, the 11th anniversary shirt is uh, going up for those people. So everyone who's a gold member already or the highest level, uh, you will automatically get a new T-shirt. You'll get a second shirt. And the 11th year shirt, wow, it's really cool. It is really cool. Um, It's either Matt Smith or the girl from Stranger Things. Yeah, this uh, W. Nathans uh, is his Twitter uh, oh, handle. he's yeah. awesome. He, he is designed awesome. our very first Geek History Lesson yeah, shirt. Yeah, he did well. your Geek History Lessons shirt. He's done a lot of major spoilers, uh, podcast logo stuff. Uh, he's done our uh, couple of critical hit stuff, uh, which is really, really good. And he's done a bunch of our t shirt design stuff. So he has done the 11th anniversary one. He did the 10th anniversary one. And uh, if you want to get one, if you want to get the 10th and the 11th, now is the best month to sign up because uh, in August, uh, you will it'll reboot and you'll get a whole new. Whole new slew yep. of uh, t-shirts. So it's patreon.com slash major spoilers. Starting now, we must do a 13th warrior riff for the 13th anniversary t-shirt. <laughs> there you go. I will, I will try to remember that. Uh, but while I'm, while we're talking quickly, briefly about birthdays, thank you guys. Thank you, Rodrigo and Matthew and Ashley, and really anyone who works and participates with major spoilers, Jason, if he's there, uh, he's not, but I will tell him. Thank you guys for, you know, getting us to 11 years. You know, we wouldn't be able to do this without you guys, you, you three and all the rest of the major spoilers people who are, who are listening. Uh, and I really appreciate all the hard work and dedication that you've, you've put into it. And uh, we've grown and will continue to grow uh, in the years and months ahead. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I'm glad or, you are. I actually shrunk. So you did. That's what happens when you get older. You lose about, up. about an inch a year. Pretty soon, Matthew will be like 4'10", walking around. No, I've lost like 50 pounds, <laughs> but thanks for being mean. <laughs> mean. Uh, okay, uh, we've got the news out of the way. We've got a uh, little Patreon magic going on, and that means we can get into some reviews. Reviews. Where should we start this week? Who wants to start? I'll, I'll start. Ra- yeah, Ashley wants to start. <laughs> okay. We we all volunteered. We all volunteered same at the same time. We all time. took a step back at the same time. Yeah, we nailed it. Really good teamwork here in the eleventh year of Matrix <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> I'm the newest member. It's not my fault. If you've been listening for a little while, I've been reviewing all of the House, which is an independent comicsology submit uh, horror series written by philip cv with art by drew zucker uh the fifth issue is i believe the penultimate issue and it's the best one so far i've been pretty positive on it uh the basic premise in case you forgot is uh during the second world war what happens when a bunch of good guys and a bunch of bad guys get stuck in a house that wants to kill them and in issue five the end of issue four was they realized that the house was not letting them escape. They thought they'd found a way out, but they were tricked because it's a smart house. And in this issue is basically, you know, like the really cool fight scene that comes at the end of a superhero movie. It's like that, but it's scarier. You get to see the house's projections and the denizens that it's been using to throw out all these illusions and trap a bunch of 
really well-trained, really intelligent men who are used to working together under dire circumstances. Mm -hmm. And you get to see how they react to it. And uh, it's maybe not in the most uh, intelligent or well-trained or we're totally used to working together way that you might imagine. But if you are a horror fan and you're hoping to see some people like get holes blown in their head, this is really a good time. It's really fun. I read it really quickly, so I read it twice because when people are running down a hall screaming, there's just not a lot to say. <laughs> um, I have said from the beginning, too, that I think this would make a really good Netflix show. Um, this could be your really cool Into the Badlands style fight sequence because uh, oh, cool. I'm watching that show right now. So that's the reference that definitely came to mind. Um, so, yeah, if you like horror, if you like period pieces, I really think you should pick up the house. Uh, it is building in a really interesting way. And if everything is going to fall apart in the next issue, then it's going to be a pretty perfect, uh, I guess, I, I don't know, uh, archetypical <laughs> plotting <laughs> of a horror comic. So it's a good time. Uh, the art by Drew Zucker remains great. It lives up to Phil Seavey's storytelling. And again, uh, Comicsology submit series are the series that need the most support from people. So if mm-hmm. these are genres you like, check it out and then use the nice search function and check everything else out and discover a writer and an artist that maybe you're not used to seeing in these roles and go and support them so that they can go on to uh, ruin the numbering systems at big two comic book companies. There you go. <laughs> so Thanks. because it met, met all my expectations and it looked great, I'm going to give it a five out of five because it did everything it was supposed to. Excellent. Thank you for that, Ashley. Uh, speaking yeah. of Netflix series, Rodrigo, why don't we jump to you with the brand new thing? Uh, I'll be honest, I fell asleep in the first 10 minutes of this show, so tell me about Castlevania. Yeah, wait, this show or Castlevania? Castlevania. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, maybe this show, too. I don't know. People have to go back yeah. and, and, and listen again. Redownload it like, again. Trying to catch up on the six guns, just like, oh, no. Um, so yes, Castlevania, uh, Steven fell asleep in the first 10 minutes and that is, uh, sort of where I'm at with this as well. Uh, so Castlevania is a new Netflix series. It's four episodes, uh, based on the popular video games, um, where you play some sort of vampire hunter and are trying to kill some sort of vampire. Um, And that vampire has hordes and hordes and hordes of of monstrosities uh, that you have to deal with. I believe this is specifically based on Castlevania 3. I didn't... If I played it, I played it probably as a demo, like at a game store or something. Um, So if... uh, any any listeners that are hardcore uh, Castlevania fans that want to discredit the rest of this review because I haven't played this particular Castlevania, they, they just feel free. Just like, well, like, just come back around for Matthew's review here in a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the the idea behind Castlevania is that there's Dracula, and Dracula has super cool powers, and he's evil and scary, and he is the the Belmont family has generation after generation tried to kill him and only partially ever succeeded. Um, so, uh, this series is, um, about, uh, the last of the Belmonts, um, trying to beat up Dracula as it were. Uh, Dion, Dion Belmont. Yes. It's, uh, 
It's uh, <laughs> it's Pavlov. It's Pavlov Belmont. <laughs> <laughs> Took a moment for my joke to hit, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yours is good too. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you this. This series is like weirdly boring, and I, it doesn't have to be. So here's like what happens, right? It's like. This lady shows up at Dracula's castle. Dracula is like, go away. And then she's like, no, I'm staying. And then they fall in love. Um, oh, right at, like, the part, okay. at the part where she says I'm staying, that's where I fell asleep. Yeah. So it's like, okay, cool. Um, and then she dies and Dracula is sad and angry. And so he's going to unleash his wrath upon the populace as Dracula is wont to do. And Dracula is like, oh, you killed my wife. You have one year, and then I will unleash hell upon you. And it's like, seriously? Like, one year from now, this is going to happen? And it, like, it really just seems like they just wanted to write that scene where everybody's like, well, a year's come and gone, and Dracula sure hasn't. Oh, no, monsters! Um, and like that whole first episode just has so many jumps to it because we don't even get to the protagonist until the very end of it. Um. Uh, the protagonist, by the way, who is a like drunkard has been um, with a with a secret heart of gold and and is but is still a badass, even though oh, he sure. gets beaten up sometimes. And it's just like, I don't know, guys, it's just like so tropey and slowly paced. And the character, the main character is very unlikable. By the end of the season, basically two characters join the party and they might have something going on. Like, I, I mean, like as, as in their personalities at all that might make future installments of this interesting. But again, it's like these three that are kind of depicted in the art as like super butt kicking team like only get together at the very end of this four episode arc. Um, so you don't even really get to see that going on. Um, the animation is great. It looks really good. Um, everything's brown, uh, which is <laughs> something that's not necessarily great. Um, but the, the, the animation quality is really high. Um, it's very violent. And sometimes it really seems needlessly violent um but if you look at the bylines it maybe starts making a little bit more sense yeah um, it's warren ellis yeah so i was surprised i started watching it and i i when i start watching stuff on netflix i never look at the at who wrote it or or any of the uh credits um but when i finally caught that i was like oh oh now, I mean, that I, makes sense. Well, the yeah, other, I, I mean, I, I don't like know if, some Warren Ellis stuff, but well, yeah. I didn't know if the, one of the other, the executive, one of the executive producers is, uh, Addie Shankar who mm -hmm. did the, uh, Power Rangers fan film thing. Oh, that's cool. And so I don't know if yeah. that also influenced you or not. So no, not really. I mean, I'm not like, I wasn't like, Oh, gross. Warren Ellis. Like, uh, it was more of like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That this, this. Some of now the ideas that in here sense. makes sense, and some and it does because I I find that a lot of time Warren Ellis has these cool ideas that don't and and doesn't that are like these big set pieces like, like trees. either 
yeah, either like philos yeah, either like philosophically or like a fight and something interesting happens during the fight, but like getting to those ideas is kind of a trudge. And then you're like, well, how are these two things connected? And it's like, yeah, they're not. It's just, you know, here's two cool things that happened. Um, and now, and now we're, we're moving on. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to give it uh, two slices of meatloaf. Um, it's not like the worst thing I've ever seen, but I was very underwhelmed by it. Um, especially because Castlevania is a huge, huge video game franchise. I, I, I don't mean as far as popularity necessarily, although it is popular, but as far as source material, there's so, there are so many Castlevania games out there and it's like, they could have found more things to pack into here, more interesting situations or moments or things like that. And they just really aren't there. Um, so yeah, just like the meatloaf, uh, put it on while you're doing something else. Uh, will you be interested in watching the, um, second season? Cause that has already been a- approved by Netflix. Uh, I probably will at some point, but I'll probably watch it while I'm doing something else. Mm, okay. All right. I, I will say I like some of the monsters, um, like the design of the monsters are really cool. Um, but I get, you can't just, it doesn't carry the show to, to just have cool looking monsters (laughs) right right okay cool thanks rodrigo uh matthew here we go Mm -hmm. it's the biggest thing in comics uh, event history especially for valiant entertainment the death the death of a major character which we will not spoil in this review because valiant has specifically Mm -hmm. said do not spoil this book in your review i will say two things and two things only one i'm not sure who it is and two this is a book that is kind of a huge, massive, mixed blessing for me. Harbinger, Renegade, number five, part one of the Massacre storyline, written by Rafer Roberts, art by Derek Robertson uh, from Valiant Entertainment. New Valiant and I have this weird love-hate relationship. It's like my college girlfriend. She's like, come here, come here, come here, come here, go away, go away, go away, go away. And after a while, I'm like, oh, wait, we did have that conversation. So when I picked this up, I'm a couple of months out, but they immediately hooked me with the appearance of the greatest valiant character of any generation, a 12-year-old girl named Animalia who can turn into cartoon animals. Uh, Love her. She turns into this flying cartoon Cthulhu. But they also give me something that I'm really not happy with in the the revival of the hardcore, C-O-R-P-S. So some people would say hard corpse. Those people are wrong. Um, But in this issue, we have come to an impasse. Throughout uh, the Harbinger titles, the Psyots, or kids who are totally not mutants, you guys, have been gaining more and more power and trying to basically establish themselves as as an independent, vaguely sociopolitical force. And now the hardcore have returned to duty to kind of put the metaphorical kibosh on that, to put boots on necks, and that is not a metaphor that is legitimate. So this issue is a lot of just the beginning of what's going to seem to be a major conflict. It looks like they may be willing to destroy entire cities to get rid of the problem of the Harbingers. So 
when this story opens up, it's got that kind of tension going for it that, ooh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Are they really going to go through with this? Because, you know, I talked about Animalia. Animalia is a 12-year-old girl. And so they are going to have armed and armored grown military men with guns coming in and attacking characters like, you know, 12-year-old girls and little twins and a whole bunch of characters who are mostly, honestly, children. But I will say that there are some shocking sequences that take place in here just from storyline beats, just moments where you're like, I did not see that coming. Uh, I like to refer to them as the Jeff John stabbed from behind from the other panel shot where somebody says something and then you turn and it's like, oh my God, terrible things have happened. Again, not going to spoiler it. I wouldn't spoiler it even if Valiant hadn't specifically said don't spoiler it, you guys, because A, I believe that if you spoiler something really big and awesome like this, you're kind of a jerk. And B, it really does change the nature of this book. They're promising that this is going to change the nature of the entirety of the modern Valiant comics. But I will say that I was a little disturbed by the end of it by the volume, uh, both in terms of how loud and how prevalent the violence in this book is. And there is some seriously, seriously nasty stuff going on. There's also a moment that is perfectly in character that I feel is actually really well done. It's a, a topical reference. It is a topical reference to the current uh, commander-in-chief that really made me mad in this issue. And I can't tell you whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, in terms of the story, we're supposed to really, really have a visceral response one way or the other to the way this moment is framed. So I feel like it's a success on that level, but it, it also leaves me like... Man, I don't know if we really. Ugh, I don't. I don't need all my comics hitting me over the head with metaphorical references to everything that's happening in the real world of 2017. That said, I do want more of this because it ends with a big cliffhanger. It ends with actually there. There is more than one death in this issue. Um, so that is something else to take into account. But all in all. Three slices of meatloaf for Harbinger Renegades, number five. They promised us a massacre, and they done give us a massacre. And for the good and ill, it's definitely an issue that's going to make some changes. Hopefully, these are changes that will lead to interesting storylines and maybe not just, a, okay, Captain America's a Nazi now, you guys. I, I, I trust Valiant to actually have something to say with these stories and hopefully that they can really put together something fascinating, something that's going to be new and different in the terms of comics. Also, this is drawn by Derek Robertson. I forgot how much I miss Derek Robertson. You may remember him from the boys or the new warriors. This is really excellent in terms of the art and all of the moments where terrible things happened are lovingly rendered. And you're just like, Ooh, I don't want to look at that, but it's so pretty. <laughs> Yeah, there's a preview that uh, I think it's one of the variant covers is pretty brutal over there mm -hmm. at the uh, Major Spoilers website. So if you want a little sneak peek, that's where you want to go. Sneak peek. So what's the bottom line on this? What, how many slices of meatloaf? Three, a big three. three. Okay. Slices three of, meatloaf. of meatloaf. That's out of five, 60% or okay. a little more than half. All right. So for those of you doing the math at home, that's six out of 10 or three out of five. So uh, video games, when they're translated into other 
media. Uh, sometimes they can be successful. I mean, we've got uh, Lou Albano as uh, as Mario, right? The, uh, the Mario <laughs> Show, right? Sometimes they don't work so well, like uh, maybe Castlevania in the eyes of of Rodrigo on the Netflix series. Sure. Or maybe Bob Hoskins as Mario. Yeah, maybe you could do that. I suppose uh, that's m- maybe not such a good example there, Matthew. But uh, uh, then you have something that Dynamite Entertainment is doing with old Atari properties, where you know one of the one of my we've talked about this before on I don't know what show one of the shows out there we've talked about Atari Force before, and how as a kid I thought that was the coolest thing to have this little comic book included with the video game and really had nothing to do with the Atari title specifically. But what Dynamite Entertainment is doing with, with Atari now is they're trying to create stories around those original video games like Centipede. And Centipede number one out this week from Dynamite Entertainment from Max Bemis and uh, what is it? Eon uh, Marin, I believe is how you say the name uh, on the art. <clears throat> If you ever wondered how could you create a story out of the video game Centipede, mm-hmm. well, they've done it here. <laughs> but it may also be the reason why you don't want to create stories or comic books out of every freaking Atari game out there. We start no. on a we start on a faraway world. A world where there's only one lone survivor, and he's gone crazy enough to where he starts talking to what looks like an 80s cell phone, which in turn becomes the audience, us, the reader. And he talks about how their culture is uh, widely, widely read and very smart. And they, they, they um, take knowledge from every world that they can find. And he's one of the outcasts. He's one of those people that liked reading pulp adventures. Somehow uh, their planet had connected to the internet of earth from far, far away, this weird planet and uh, he got into really into their pop pulps and their comic books and all these kinds of things. And he was kind of the outcast of his of his world. And then the thing arrived and it killed everybody but him. And now he's been in hiding, but now he's no longer going to take it. And he's going to go out across this wasteland and he's finally going to just end it all. Whether it's the end of this creature that has invaded or whether it's the end of him, he doesn't care. And he basically is telling his story, which, quite frankly, is not very interesting. Uh, until he finally reaches the place where he needs to reach, which may be called Atari City. And uh, he finds spiders, so he shoots some jumping (laughs) spiders. And then he walks a little bit further, and then right when he's about to give up all hope, a giant flying centipede appears in the sky. (laughs) Is not really good. I, I just really didn't get into it. I kind of see what they're trying to do by trying to break the fourth wall and talk to the reader, but also at the same time, give a nudge saying, Hey, do you see all these references to classic uh, centipede and Atari games mentioned throughout this book? Isn't that cool? Clever, huh? I just didn't find the art is solid. I just couldn't get into the story. I thought the story is, is forced, which is unfortunate because the stuff that Max Bemis is, is writing. I mean, it's, it's solid in the, the words that are being put together to tell a story. It's just not a very good story, if that makes sense, right? Does that make sense? In that the person has a grasp of how to tell a story. It feels like he was forced to tell this story and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. That happens. And I I haven't read any of the other. I know what was it the, uh, was it Star Sword or whatever the other Atari game was out, uh, came out a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't had a chance to read that one. Um. 
I think I need to check out maybe some of these other Atari offerings. But Centipede did not leave a good taste in my mouth. And I can't really give it a high score. I can only give it two slices of meatloaf out of five. Uh, it's probably one you might want to pass. Now, the art's pretty, but I mean, how do you make a how do you make a, a comic book out of a centipede video game? I guess this is one way you can do it. Practice, man. <laughs> Practice. If I have to, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess if I want to read it, I'll read it. <laughs> It's it's really honestly something I think you can pass. There's a preview over at Majorspoilers.com. You can read the first couple of pages and decide from there if that's what you want to get into or not. Uh, basically, one of the variant covers is the final panel of the book uh, done by a different artist, but it's basically the same thing. Hmm. So there you go. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, and also while you're over at Majorspoilers.com, you can check out all sorts of news, all sorts of reviews, and you can find the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Poll of the Week! Week, 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 trying not to be too loud because I have a new microphone. It's really close to my face. Week, 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 week. As week, week. as we do every year, we have our annual poll about San Diego Comic Con and who is going and who is not going. San Diego Comic Con, who's going and not going? Now I'm going to bet that uh, Rodrigo is not going. Correct. Uh, Matthew is not going. Oh, I'm going. Yeah, I am not going. Uh, Wayne Hall, who does the Wayne's Comics podcast and and writes. Um, uh, feature every week and uh, some reviews every week or so. He's going. He's going to go there to um, help out some indie comic friends that he knows. Ashley, you're going to the San Diego Comic-Con, correct? Heck yes, I am. You've got some panels or what have you got going on at the San Diego Comic-Con this year? I have never had a panel at San Diego Comic-Con. Never. I just have a lot of emails uh, rejecting me from panels at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, Jason Inman is moderating a couple panels uh, that I'll be sitting in the audience for. Um, I have, I can talk about this. I got an email about it today. Okay. Uh, so we are really awesomely going to have an exclusive San Diego Comic-Con uh, print of Jupiter Jet number one uh, with a con exclusive cover by Nicholas Scott. You saw that art on our Kickstarter campaign. Maybe you bought yeah. it as a print. Uh, you can still buy it at jupiterjet.backerkit.com. Uh, and so we're going to be signing at the Action Lab booth. Uh, with our series artist Ben Matsuya on Friday from uh, 3.30 to 5.30 and Saturday 2.30 to 4.30. So come check us out there. Buy it. Uh, if you tell us you were a Kickstarter backer, then we have a special extra something just for you. And uh, I'm going to be at the Geekscape booth and I'm going to be at the Hoopla booth, but I don't have my times for those yet. Okay. Are you so, pretty excited? Uh, Are you looking forward to it? Uh, San Diego Comic Con is a lot of work for me. Yeah. So it's just crazy in general. It is. Um, San Diego is great for a number of reasons, but for me, they're all very business oriented. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of like one long job fair. So I'm looking forward to not being in Los Angeles. I'm looking forward to seeing people that I don't get to see any other time of the year except mm -hmm. there and maybe New York. Uh, and then I'm looking forward to coming home and sleeping uh, until <laughs> I die after. That's what I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> is there is there one thing besides your Jupiter jet signings and everything? Is there one thing that you're most looking forward to? Uh, I don't have any plans that are just like for fun. So, oh, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm looking forward to all the trailers that will be posted that I won't be able to see until yeah. I get back to the hotel room and have good reception. Yeah, there you um, go. Yeah. Right. No, because I, I don't have any like fun time plans. You should you should plan some fun time, even if that. Oh, I'm looking. 
I was going to say, even if that means going to the Boom Studios uh, drink up that they had to double the size of because so many oh, people I don't, responded. Oh, I don't drink. Yeah, um, I do go to that, I do to go to that party every year. And drink some, drink some tea. They maybe have a drink some elbows. Free tea. Yeah, drink some elbows. I was saying, as somebody who doesn't drink, it doesn't make going to drinking events. It makes it less fun. Yeah, uh, I kind of understand. I mean, I do drink, but um, lately I don't drink as much. And so it is yeah. weird to just kind of be like, here, have a drink. I'm like, no, nah, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, we only I, had one... I don't know. I'm tired already. <laughs> <laughs> we are, are only had one person respond in the comment section over at Majorspoilers.com said, nope, I really want to go, but I just can't afford the whole ordeal. I can barely afford to get the takeout and rent a movie. So I certainly couldn't afford a trip to Ill- from Illinois to California. Cost of the con itself, food and lodging. Hopefully someday I won't have so many uh, costs and can afford to go. And somebody can invite me along and we can split the cost, which may be the way a lot of people people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's I do know true, though. I don't, I don't know how people go who someone's not putting them up for work because right. I, if I had to pay for it, I, I could not and would not go. Yeah. I hear, I hear there's nice. like, yeah, I hear there's like people out there who have actual money. Um, I've met some of them. <laughs> what are they like? <laughs> Were they, I, you know, they are just like you they're, and me. You can tell mythical. them apart on the street. That's actually, actually nice. I'm 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 gonna tell you this as like a legit immigrant. That's the weirdest one of the weirdest thing about the United States is that all Americans dress down. So it's like you can't tell who's rich just mm-hmm. by looking at them. It's like a guy a guy in like the same T-shirt you're wearing could be super That's rich. Weird. See, I'm trying to make nice with my hot friend who lives in San Diego, but I kind of get the feeling that you know crashing on her couch may not be the greatest idea in the world. So we'll have to see how that all shakes down. Also, I'd have to get there. I mean, I can't trust my van necessarily. Uh, there is. Them. I've actually looked into this, Matthew. There mm-hmm. is a train that runs from, and I think there's a stop in Topeka, but I know it leaves Lawrence <laughs> and it goes down to San Diego. And there it are is, no it is trains a, that stop in Topeka. It is a three-day journey. But you get to see all of the Southwest via rail. And I've looked at this multiple times and thought, ooh, that looks pleasant if I had three days to waste on a train. It's it's really well, weird that there would probably are, be easier. Matthew really, doesn't fly. It's really weird that there are no trains that go through Topeka since Wichita is basically half like abandoned train yards. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that Matthew doesn't fly, it's just that two seats cost more. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like uh, 25% of us are um, going to the San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> well, and if we count Wayne, if we count Jason, uh, yeah. let's see, that's uh, Chris. That's, and, that's harder math. Yeah, but, that's but four. Then if you, if but then there's count, Chris like, and Zach and Brian and Rob. Yeah. Chris and Zach and Brian and Rob and Sam. It's so that's Sam four is, to. Sam's not going to I'm, San Diego. She's not? I don't think so. Sure? I think she was only she going does. to. I think she was only going to go to a Gen Con. That's yeah, she only goes to strictly gaming stuff. I think so. Yeah. So it's uh four to four out of 10. So about 40% so of people. 40%. Yeah. Yeah. But going by volume. Yeah. Going by volume then most of, most of major spoilers <laughs> definitely isn't going. <laughs> but 25% seems to be closer to what the uh, poll actually lands out at this week. That is true. Right now we're looking at 17% of our respondents saying yes, 83%, which is to be expected, saying no. I think we usually break out to about a 4 to 1, 80-20 split on these. I'd have to go back into the historical 
I want to say we, we had this discussion for the last three years where we're like, yeah, it seems like it. And you go, I'll have to go back and check with the numbers. And we never do. And then nah. the next year comes around and my brain goes, I think this happens. And you say, I'll have to check with the well, numbers. Well, and that's because really the listeners really want to know how last week's poll finally filtered out <laughs> about uh, the Peter Parker thing. And it turns yeah, out that 40% of the people prefer college age Peter Parker. 34% prefer adult age Peter Parker. And 26% prefer high school Peter Parker. That's pretty close. We also had a lot of yeah. people uh, jump on our cases about uh, Tom Holland's age, that he's 21 and not oh, 12. <laughs> Which, I guess this week after Spider-Man uh, The sheer amount became, of his voice cracking uh, leads well, me to believe he might in fact be 12. Well, oh, apparently that has become actor. quite a discussion online about the number of people who are like, uh, after seeing Tom Holland in either uh, what's the lip sync battle show or the Spider-Man movie, I had to go and look mm -hmm. and see how old he was. And boy, I'm glad he's 21. Yeah. So. Lip sync battle was, 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 yeah, it was a tiny bit racy. It's what it was. That's what I heard. I haven't seen it, but you know, that, that show is known for that sort of thing. That show is definitely an outrageous kind of awesome. I would go see it. Uh, it has the rock doing a Taylor Swift song. All right. Excellent. Yeah. You know, you can go to a drag bar and see that. It'll be much more entertaining. No, the actual rock. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see someone who looks like the rock in a dress. I'm not saying you won't find a six foot five inch, 275 man pound man with Samoan tattoos singing Taylor Swift. I'm just saying the actual rock is actually the rock. All right. Here we go. That's what Here we go. Poll of the week, Majorspoilers.com. Cast your vote. If you are going to the San Diego Comic-Con, uh, do track down Jason and Ashley and uh, get, a, get a copy of that Jupiter jet. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, when it launches officially in what, September, October? I'll tell you when Action Lab tells me. Oh, okay. Uh, you can all buy that new number one all over again. Heck with yeah. A, with an exciting back cover. Um, yes, that's true. Maybe. We'll see. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but if, but again, if they haven't, and they want to get a copy, Ashley, uh, what is the backer? What's the backer site? Oh, backerkit.jupiterjet.com. That is our backer kit store. You can still, uh, pre-order some of the stuff that was offered as rewards in our campaign. If you missed that and you can order some new stuff that wasn't offered in our campaign, we're probably going to lock that in December. So, uh, bye now. Yeah. Get it now. Some really good stuff, like, uh, some great art by uh, some well-known artists that you know. Yes. Uh, Nicholas Scott Nicholas Sprint Scott, is yeah. up there. Uh, Tim Seeley, who you probably know as a writer. Uh, Isaac Goodart, Phil Seavey. Uh, again, our series artist, Ben Matsu, has got two prints on there that are amazing. So if you're an art person, I think we uh, think we have something for you. And Jupiter Jet looks like such a cool character. Can't wait to She's find out more about best. her story and what's going yeah. on. Uh, let us uh, let us talk. This is something we've been doing uh, this year, going through an entire collection of comics, and we are now up to volume five of The Sixth Gun, Winter Wolves, written by Colin Bunn with art by Brian Hurt. All of our characters finally get back together, I guess, in the Great White North. Hmm. What goes on? They fight in this? the snow. They, f they find <laughs> they fight the snow. They fight a, a, win a Wendigo. Wendigo, yes. Matthew, what, what's the what's the story going on in this in this book? Well, as you know, the people have been kind of split all over the place. And uh, the, our douchebag protagonist, whose name always escapes me. Snidely Whiplash. Drake Snidely, Sinclair. 
Yeah. Uh, Neville Sinclair has finally reunited with Becky Moncrief, who is the protagonist that I can stand. And they are traveling together and trying to come to terms and figure out the, the revelation from last uh, trade paperback that uh, Drake apparently uh, rebooted the world with the six guns. Uh, but they end up getting trapped in a kind of a thing. Basically, a Wendigo comes along and sucks them into an ice world, which is like uh, 20 minutes into the past of the future or something that is like an overlaid dimension. Yeah, like I'm not an entirely alternate sure. Di- an alternate dimension. Magic-y, magic stuff is going on. Um, also, um, oh gosh, I can't. You see, this is the thing. I know everybody in the book. Gord. Yeah finally is coming back to try and find them. And he has teamed up with uh, the mummy man who can see the future, mm-hmm. whose name is Asher. Uh, yep. Asher. Thank Asher you. Cobb. And Becky's douchebag X. Um, that's Kirby. A lot of dude. Kirby. Ryan Reynolds. No. Ryan Reynolds. Yes. <laughs> no, and this guy is straight. This guy's a Luke Wilson. That's what I was going to yes. say. At least oh, one of the Wilsons. Sure. Luke. Wilson. Oh, come In on. Fact, she can, she can do better than a Wilson brother. Well, but that's have, fine. But look at that. This be the whole. This could be a Royal Tenenbaums thing, where Ben Stiller plays uh, plays uh, our douchebag and and. Uh, oh, never, Drake? No way. Yeah, Ben Stiller is Drake, and uh, then you get uh, what's her name to play Becky. You know the girl. She's in a, no, no. What's her name? Goop. Yeah, Goop. Oh, Pepper Potts. Yeah. Uh, oh. Gwyneth Paltrow. There you Thank go. Thank you. That's not even a word. These are just sounds. But in any case, this no, has Goop nothing to do with the story. company that sells people like silver pills. Yeah. Right. He's but crazy. basically, Drake and Becky are being frozen to death in a strange sort of magical alternate dimension. They have only the power of the guns to protect them, while Gord is trying to find them and is traveling back across the country with a mummy and a jerk. And it this is that... <laughs> <laughs> we had we had that whole volume, the Don't Split the Party volume. This is the We Gotta Bring the Party Back Together volume. And I feel like it's really successful in that premise because we have the two kind of interlocking stories. And, of course, we have the most horrifying sequence ever in this entire book when the cold finally gets to uh, Drake and his fingers just fall right off. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, in the meantime, do that. Uh, Gord has to get away from... Uh, Sam Elliott's um, sort of the <laughs> sort of Abraham dudes, the, the Brotherhood of the of the Spear, or yeah, whatever. Sort, sort of Abraham, oh, by the yeah. way, go see the hero. It's a pretty good movie. The hero is that? I don't know. Yeah, that that's, the, that's, the, that's the new Sam Elliott joint oh, with Nick okay. Offerman. All right, I will go see that. Good. <laughs> What's a hero? Anyway. <laughs> but uh, okay, so here's the thing: the 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 whole thing kind of comes to a head when Drake realizes that they have to fight a Wendigo, which he has fought before. And the Wendigo is like, look, man, just leave all the guns here in this, in this, uh, snow dimension and mm-hmm. I'll protect them. And you don't have to worry about it because I don't want the world to change. I like exactly what I'm doing. Just leave them here and no one will ever come and find them. And you guys can just go on living your life. Yep. And Drake basically is like, nah, that's not going to happen. Cause, uh, power is always going to corrupt ultimately. And you're a bad dude that has uh, captured all these women's and children's. I'm actually <laughs> more worried about Drake than I am about the Wendigo. Why is that? Because Drake is clearly amoral and scary. And we are pretty sure that Drake has already reset the universe at least once. 
And he has four of these six mystical artifacts, which means we have to trust him more than usual. Yeah. And I trust him less to the point where I can't even remember his name after I've read about him because my brain is well, just singing. As someone who resets the universe, that's exactly what he would want you to do is not remember his name. No, that's mm. not. I think that's. I'm, not- so were you. This, uh, so question, Matthew, were you skeeved out about the. Uh, hey, you're going to have to kill all these women and children to make the Wendigo go away? No, because I feel like they set it up from the beginning as something that Drake was resisting. In this context, I feel like they set it up as Drake is a character that we are supposed to know is morally uh, not bankrupt, but definitely shades of, of gray. And you get to that point where the Wendigo is like, all you got to do is kill all of these children. And I'm like, well, they're, they're kind of dangling it. They're using it as a legitimate plot point here. And they use it to show us that Drake is not entirely irredeemable. So I wasn't as annoyed with it. Now, if, if we had done that moment where he walked out, trudged out of the cave and nobody told us what happened and Becky was like, what happened? And he's like, nothing then i would have been super mad at cullen bun i would have been absolutely mortified and angry but i feel like they used that dangerous hunk of storytelling to actually do some good both for the character and to bring the story along a little bit Mm. do you agree with that assessment rodrigo yeah i think this is this was an interesting little conundrum because i think that there's a possibility that walking into this, you might feel cheated either way, like depending on what you're expecting or hoping for. Right. It's like on the one hand, you might be hoping for this character to, you know, basically continue lashing at himself by, you know, by having that thing, right. It's like coming out of the cave and being like, what'd you do? It's like, well, I killed a bunch of babies. So I'm a bad person. Okay. I'm bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that would have made me mad, which is, yeah, sure. Um, but I think there's probably people who would read this and be like, that's Sinclair. That's, that's more of what we've seen. Right. And and it makes sense. That's what they believe should have happened in the story. Whereas on the other side, you kind of get this like tricking the devil moment of, you know, it's like, well, what if you go into my guts and it's like, okay, well then your friends come along and switch up the guts. Right. And it I I can I think it was well written. I like the way it went. I think it leaves the door open for a lot of future problems. Mm-hmm. Um I I we've been reading Six Gun enough for me to be like, this seemed a little too clean, and I'm sure we'll see mm-hmm. something about this again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um but if you don't, if you just take it as it is, it does kind of feel a little bit like a cop out. You know, it's like you have this big decision to make. Then he makes the big decision, and then the decision is uh, uh, overturned, as it were. Right, right, right. right. It's it's a it's a Gord rolled a twenty moment for me yeah. because it it brings Gord back into the story with agency as a defining force of what's happening, and he's been kind of he's almost been off the board now for two yeah two, two chapters about, yeah. So it's nice to see for me at least Gord come back into play and all of a sudden be the kind of the MVP of that ending because 
you know, Drake was about to get it and everything bad was going to happen. And Gord came in for the save. I really enjoyed that. Right. And then that's kind of a one, two punch, Ashley, because Gord and company uh, are being chased by uh, Sam Elliott and crew. And, <laughs> and there's kind of a, some trickery that's going on and why they allow them to continue to follow them because Gord then flips the sort of Abraham uh, crew into the winter dimension and pulls Drake and Elizabeth out uh, kind you. of uh, saving the day. And then they're, of course, all reunited and then can go on to the next bit, which is dealing with uh, crazy old widow, uh, widow general. What's her, what's his name? So <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. There's like the sword of Abraham and like the Harley's mallet of Isaac and Thor's <laughs> yeah. hammer. And there's yeah. like all these organizations that all have vaguely biblical names. And I don't know which there's actually, I think there's only two. I don't know which one is which. However, I really like Gord, so mm-hmm. this is fine by me. Um, and I I actually think this volume of Sixth Gun is a really clever, pared-down presentation of what this book actually is. But it is the least, interestingly enough, it's the least Western-y one. That's true. Which I think my the inherent Canadian in me I uh, really liked the winter aesthetic that we mm-hmm, had and the mm-hmm. inclusion of the Wendigo. I was like, this is the best volume of <laughs> Six Gun that we've read so far. Everyone I like That's... is back. We got some snows. Uh, yep. I really dug it. But it it feels, uh, uh, you know, Rodrigo talks a little bit about how you might feel cheated by it, you know, depending on what your expectation is. It does feel the least like a Six Gun story, I think, of everything that we've uh, approached yeah. so far. Here, and here's, I, here's, go Go ahead, Matthew. The reason for that is the Asher Gord uh, mummy or the Asher Gord Kirby trio, because those characters have all been in play separately. Putting them together actually creates a group dynamic that we've never seen before. And I think that's why I like this issue. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why I like th- this particular arc, because it puts three characters that we've, we've seen and we've seen and we've seen, first of all, in the forefront as a driving force of the narrative, but it also puts them together. And of course it gives us the best line in the history of the six gun, which Gord is driving away. They've been attacked. Are you alive back there? And Kirby's like, yeah. And Asher's like, no, (laughs) just a perfect moment to me. Here's the thing. I enjoy everything about the six gun. I enjoy the characters. I enjoy the action. I enjoy the setting. I enjoy the magic and the mythology and on all this stuff. And I agree with you on on all the parts for each of you that said, this is why I like this. This is why I like this. This is why I like this. Totally agree with you. Problem is, I thought that this volume went about two issues too long. I think it, it really felt like you could take out a whole issue or two out of this, condense some of the chase, condense some of the, mm. oh, we're stranded in in frozen zone. And it would have been a tighter story to me. This, I, I walked away from this going, I liked it, but I'm kind of bored. Yeah, this this is a like uh, a, a Avengers movie, Age of Ultron story. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. there are more volumes after this and everything has to be in place by the end of this issue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really true. It there are gives a lot of movies. us. Yeah, it gives us the party getting back together. It gives us um, Becky hauling off on the widow through astral projection. Mm-hmm. It gives us, you know, it teases us with this like uh, 
band the, of, yeah, of Native moral, Americans that show up at the end. It shows moral, us, uh, you know, the moral conundrum for 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 Drake. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, but that's 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 the ligament of it, right? Um, this story about the Wendigo, which is, I mean, it's character development, but it's kind of well, I guess it's not inconsequential because it takes out the major player from the sort of Abraham, but it kind of it really feels like this volume is a springboard um Mm -hmm. it shows you what happened to that guy that the snake people took Mm -hmm. um it introduces the general's mom right um like there's all of these parts that are going to be important later and basically this whole volume to me feels like a last panel right it's like the six gun is so good about its last panels Mm -hmm. where it's just like now who the heck is this guy kind right, of right, situation right, right. or like i can't believe that character's back flip up that was the last panel how could you do this to me um uh-huh. and this whole volume kind of felt like and guess what hume's out of his coffin and yeah. guess what like the widow's uh-huh. back in play and guess what remember those snake people from before they're here uh-huh. this is what their deal was but we still don't get to shoot them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there's kind of a lot of that going on in this volume yeah, there's, there's, there really is a, a kind of a buildup, and maybe I, I really feel like this is the part of the stories when you have these big kind of striking weird things. These are the part of the stories that I really dig because everybody gets a little bit of change. We find right. out what may be going on, and of course, we get the Wendigo's view of Becky, which may be the future or may not. We get oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that is amazing. We get a lot of things that kind of feel like we're building up to the big final shootout. And in a way, you know, this is the part of the story where things are going to change irreversibly. And if you like that sort of thing, and if you're perfectly fine with, you know, a Rodrigo stories where he tortures you and tortures you and tortures you, and then he gets to the end and then he twists that knife a little harder. I feel like that's, that's what's coming. We're getting kind of a buildup to, I don't know if, is the next volume the, the final volume? No, or? there's like two more volumes after this, I think. Oh, well, yeah, this is, this Six is like the big, big third act kind of mess. And then we're going to have to clean up all of this mess, but everybody changes yeah. within these pages. Oh, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you guys on any of that. I, I feel, I think I figured out what, why this volume was somewhat boring to me, even though there's all this cool stuff that's happening. Uh, this is a ghost story. This is a bunch of mm-hmm. ghost stories that mm-hmm. are that are streamed together specifically in in this volume. And the problem is ghost stories really work when you're given little morsels. So I think instead of reading this as a trade, this actually probably would have worked better as the single issues because the jump scares happen right where they're supposed to happen. Right. And so as a ghost story, you need that little jump scare and go, okay, everybody, let's pause for a little bit. Catch your breath, and next month we're going to come back and tell you the rest about what's inside the cave yeah. and what Drake does in the cave. And then you come back, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? And then you get that next story, and you're like, oh, this is really satisfying. But when you're able to flip a page, and you're right uh-huh. back into, oh, well, this is the resolution. He came out. He decided he was better than that, decided to take the Wendigo inside of him. <laughs> uh, then, you know, blah, 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 blah. And maybe that's to me, is what some of the some of the gravitas is lost because it is collected in the trade. But I just there's something about this that of all the volumes that we've read, this is the first one that I kind of walked away from just going, oh, okay. Yeah, I there's there's a conversation I've actually had about 
a different series that I think applies here. Um, Neil Gaiman's Sandman is nine trade paperbacks, and everybody has their favorite. And nobody shares my favorite. My favorite is World's End, which is like the sixth or seventh trade. And it's a story that diverges from kind of everything that we've seen. It's out of character based on those previous issues and those previous mm-hmm. volumes. It doesn't feel like it's of a piece. Is that the know? one with press? Yes, that's the one with Prez. That's the one where at one point we hear a story being told in a story, being told in a story, being mm-hmm. told in a story, being told to us, the readers. And that's the one where basically everybody is stuck in a hotel for seven issues or in a, in a traveling inn called The World's End for seven issues. And it's very atypical. And because of the atypicality of it, it's the strongest total volume for me. And I feel like this feels the least like a sixth gun story so far, except in as much as that he's using three of the guns to blow up wolves and right. Well, and it's always like the third gun will knock your face off your head. Yeah. The fourth gun will give you an elbow halfway up your arm. But I, you know, I like that, but this is a volume that is different from the previous volumes partly because, you know, our protagonist is coming apart, literally coming apart at the seams, but also because we are seeing a lot more progression, a lot more change, a lot more plot packed into these six issues than we did in the previous volumes. And while that's, you know, that is good, it can also lead to that fatigue that you have, Stephen, where it feels like it's too long. To me, it feels like the length is right. It feels like I want six issues for the amount of stuff that oh, actually yeah, yeah. happened. And I want six issues of stuff just because the art is fantastic. And I can't right. stop looking at how fantastic the art is. And crazy evil Becky. And well, Asher Cobb is, I think, my favorite character. He talks he looks, like this. Yeah. He looks so much like Mumra. Yeah, a yes. bit, yeah right. <laughs> I was wrong, Matthew. This is uh, nine volumes in this in this collection, uh, plus okay. uh, three other side stories. Uh, that uh, that that come out of this dust to death, uh, days of the dead, and the last one is sons of the gun, that uh, we can oh, also take a look at. But I get that that's a pun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all words. All whatever. different books that we can get to, but we have to get through the nine volumes first. We are only at issue five. Quite a ways to go. What's uh? Is there anything that you didn't like, Ashley, about this about this volume? Not this volume because it is the least westerny, and I don't know if it's, I think I said this before. Yeah. I'm not big on westerns. Yeah. Have you so. read? Have you read through the entire series? No. Okay. <laughs> I've read up to this volume. Okay. I'm kind of doing the <laughs> same thing. Part, part of me wants me to, all about it. I know oh, okay. what happens. <laughs> oh, part of me wants to just jump all the way to the end and just you know just read through all the rest of it before we get to our next volume. But I'm kind of enjoying just reading it. Like, hey, we've got to review this book this week. Okay, I'll sit down and read it. And then I'm like, oh, this is mm-hmm. all fresh in my mind and it's so cool. And and there's still that wonder and excitement of what's coming up as opposed to reading it all and then having to go back and talk about this volume, knowing what's coming up and trying not to ruin it or spoil, spoil. it for everybody. So, yeah. Uh, final thoughts, Ashley? I think this is uh, volume is great. Uh, I think it is beautiful. I really like the divergence in storytelling. I like Evil Becky uh, more snow in Six Gun, please. I like the snow. Rodrigo, <laughs> final thoughts. I, 
I like ensemble stories. And so the fact that now the party has jumped to five members just fundamentally makes things more interesting for me, even if like they don't last the next volume. Um, I'm I'm pretty interested in, in what's been happening. So uh, I like the six gun. It's good times, man. All right. And Matthew. I feel like this issue or this volume makes it clear to me that we've been on a much slower burn for the first half of the story. And maybe we're now getting into a phase where things are going to be happening at this pace. And I'm actually more comfortable at this pace, even though there is a lot going on and there are moments where you can get confused and thrown. I feel like this one gives us a lot of bang for the metaphorical buck. And it also does kind of put together an adventuring, you know, party kind of traditional group of characters. And also it takes the, the hammer of the gods out of play. So I'm Mm -hmm. fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I hate those guys. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew and Ashley and Rodrigo. And thank you listeners for being part of this week's major spoilers podcast. Always so happy to sit around and talk comic books and geek out and all that other stuff. I enjoy that a lot. Um, Oh, next week. Listen, Ashley is going to be at the San Diego Comic-Con or on her way or already, something. Already dead. Already dead by next week. <laughs> she may or may not send us something. I don't know. If she does, fantastic. If not, that's okay. She'll be busy doing busy things. Um, but we won't be doing a trade next week. We will be doing a general topics and answering questions. So general if you topic. have any of that stuff, send it our way. Podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And we will uh, try to get it on the show. But I think that wraps it up for this issue and we'll be back next week to talk general topic stuff because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man of steel. I'm going to rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.